Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. Hi, right, good afternoon. Thanks for coming. Uh, we called this press conference today because uh, recently we've developed new information in reference to a crime pattern that occurred over 18 years ago. This pattern occurred over a four year period between 2003 and 2007. It involved a series of rapes and a murder in Fairmount Park and Pennypack Park. The following is a list of the crimes. On April 30th, 2003, a 21-year-old female was raped at Kelly Drive and Fountain Green Drive. On July 13th, 2003, a 30-year-old female was raped and murdered at 3500 Conchockin Avenue. On 10-25-03, a 37-year-old female was stabbed when a male attempted to drag her down to the river in an attempted rape. This happened at West River Drive, just south of the Falls Bridge. And on August 11, 2007, four years later, a 29-year-old female was raped at Frankfurt and Sally inside the park. Uh, these crimes were committed by an offender who came to be known as the Fairmount Park Rapist. Hi, Kristen. Hey, Tom. So the last episode we put out on Gone Cold was about the Fairmount Park Rapist and Rebecca Park. And... A week and a half later, maybe not even a week and a half later, police called a press conference about the Fairmount Park rapist. How did you how did you find out that this was happening? Uh, you know, did you did you know that this was going to happen ahead of time? Um, I did not know this was going to happen ahead of time. I actually got a text message and then I checked my email and I saw this this press conference with the SVU just saying that there was going to be essentially new information that they were going to put out. And then I called around to just different sources and different people and found out that it was these pictures that were going to come out using DNA, so the genetic profile, to kind of upload what this person may look like. And we actually got even more information during the press conference uh, about some things that were very unexpected. In each of these cases, all three of the cases actually, DNA profiles were developed that linked three of the jobs together. The first job at Kelly Drive and Fountain Green Drive. It was the murder at 3500 Conchockin Avenue, and it was the last job at Frankfurt and Sally Avenue in the park. Those three cases were linked by DNA. Composite sketches were done for each crime after the crime occurred. Uh, as I said, these jobs happened about 18 years ago. That's a long time. In that time, there's been a lot of advancements in DNA technology. 
And uh, we now, through the use of phenotyping, our lab has been able to develop a composite sketch based off the offender's DNA. In other words, the complainants did not, it wasn't a description from the victims or witnesses, it was just from the DNA alone. So we we thought that there was enough new information that it it would be worth, you know, doing a, a short little kind of update episode on the Gone Cold feed. You went to the press conference. Where where was it? We'll, we'll try to break down everything for, for people who, who just listened to the episode. Where was it, and what did you find out? This was at SVU Special Victims Unit. Um, it's up in, like, Hunting Park area. Captain Mark Bergman, who runs Special Victims Unit up there, there was, you know, it was well attended, I'll say. Like, all, everybody was there including reporters that have been covering this almost since it happened. But a lot of people, I will say, even on social media had mentioned saying that they thought this case was solved. And so this, you know, it, it would definitely pique people's interest because people, I guess, just thought that it was solved. What was the main reason they, they called the press conference, you know, so, so many years later? They called the press conference to basically release these pictures based on the genetic profile of the suspect. So basically what they did is they took the genetic profile and pieces of you like eye color, hair color, maybe what, you know, how much like fat padding you may have on your face, like with cheeks or whatever, and how maybe if you have a widow's peak or you don't, that's all in your genetic code. And so what people can do now, what scientists can do now is kind of create uh, what you look like just based off that genetic code. Ryan Gallagher of the Manager Lab can explain how that works. I'm from the Criminalistics Unit of the Office of Forensic Science, and we process all of the DNA cases for the city of Philadelphia. With advances in DNA technology, as Captain Bergman said, we're able to take a new look at this case and determine if anything further can be done. One of the options was for the creation of these photos uh, or these composites that we that you see here. Uh, and that was done from Parabon Nanolabs, and the technology is called Snapshot Technology. Instead of uh, treating the DNA like a fingerprint like we do in the laboratory every day, what this technology does is it treats your DNA like a, a blueprint uh, for how your, what your physical appearance is. And it's important to remember this is predictive. This is not a uh, photo of the person. Uh, this is a prediction on what they might, might look like using their DNA. The technology itself is called DNA phenotyping. And it uses data from tens of thousands of genes along your DNA uh, that predict physical characteristics such as hair color, eye color, skin color, and freckling. And then combining that with information about ancestry and facial modeling, uh, they're able to use um, all those, all that information and come up with uh, a composite sketch that you see here. One piece that I did not get to enter into my stories that I should mention here is that this does, you know, it is costly and it is the first time that the Philadelphia Police Department has done anything like this, but it was $10,000 for them to do something like this. They have been working on this case. And so we found out some more information, um, like they're going down the genealogical trail of the suspect, looking for family members in those public databases like GenMatch that a lot of investigators use to just see if they can uh, match a suspect um, to the DNA profile. So I'm I'm looking at these photos now. They're they're really pretty incredible. There are three ages of of this suspect, the Fairmount Park rapist. There's a photo of him at 25. You know, he's he's a, he's a young looking guy, 
and then at 40, and then at 60. KJ, the first time that you explained this to me, I I wasn't thinking about it correctly. I was thinking about like the photos on the back of milk cartons where they can like progress the age of a photo. This is so much more uh, groundbreaking than that. They're taking DNA and trying to draw what the person looks like. There are certain factors they can't take into account, like even how maybe dark your skin tone is or something like that, because you may have olive skin, but like an olive kind of complexion, but you may have lighter olive complexion because you're not in the sun. Or, I mean, I personally have like a pinky kind of tone, uh, peachy pink tone, but like I'm not in the sun a lot. So I'm kind of pale. So like that would be something that you can't really account for exactly. But there are some things you can account for. I know there was an episode of Dateline where Andrea Canning, they used this for another case. I don't remember if it was a suspect or victim, but Andrea Canning actually used her own DNA, submitted her own DNA, and literally the picture that that popped up looked just like Andrea Canning. They didn't know it was Andrea Canning, but they had like the same, you know, basic facial features of who she, you know, what she looks like. So it also involves like, you know, how high your cheekbones are, maybe how wide your nose bridges, just little things like that. And um, the detectives did say that they gave it to the victims for them to look at. And the victims, at least one of them said that, you know, she thought it was a pretty close match to what she remembers. Detective Caitlin reached out to the victims. Uh, you, want, you want to talk about that? or? Yeah, uh, Detective uh, Ron Kalen. My partner and I have been in contact with two of the, uh, the three victims. Uh, we spoke to them and they've seen the composites. The new, the new composites. They looked familiar. Uh, one of the victims did say that uh, facial features look similar, uh, other than weight, missing a goatee. I think in the newer photos, said a goatee, shorter hair, but that's as you know as much as we got. Now again, this has happened, you know, eighteen years ago. So obviously, memory fades and changes. They're hopeful that just with these pictures and some other pieces of information they told us that maybe somebody will call in or somebody will kind of uh, give them a tip or a lead as they continue to try and track down the, you know, family tree of the suspect. You know, it's, it's tough with a picture like this because you don't want to be able to put this out and say, this is the guy. And then people like not recognize who the guy is, but at the same time, it's been 18 years. So they need something to kind of stir the pot. And they're going to see if this one works, especially because a woman was murdered, two other were raped, and another one was stabbed. And it really traumatized them and kind of ruined their lives. So, and just another point of this, although he has not popped up on CODIS, which is that, you know, national database and even international database, because they kind of check each other, um, even though he hasn't popped up on there, one of the things that the captain said was that he could be changing his MO. He could be making sure that they don't find his DNA, uh, maybe because they did match the DNA from the 07 attack to the 03 attacks. And he, you know, found out about that. So he could be, for example, using condoms when he rapes women. Um, and they just don't have his, you know, DNA. Or the other option, you know, the captain says is he could be deported somewhere because this man is, uh, they believe, from either Puerto Rico or Colombia. Or he could be dead, which is a totally, you know, a, a totally possible other scenario for this. One of the things about the Puerto Rico theory is that they announced at this press conference that during one of the, I, I believe it was the very first attack, but he just said one of the attacks 
that he mentioned that he came from a larger family with about five siblings from Puerto Rico and that he was here in Philadelphia all alone, all by himself. Hmm. He would talk to these uh, victims, some of them he would say, why are you out here by yourself all alone? You know, he's a very, very odd individual, but he did. He would talk to them and he did tell the one that, that he's from a very large family. I'm from Puerto Rico and I'm lonely. I'm lonely. I'm here by myself. He's he want to say I've been here about five years. Now, that may be true. That may not be. I don't know. The reason why I put all that out there, including the scarring, which may or may not be there, is for somebody to recognize that. Somebody may see this photo. They may see the original photo when he was 25 years old and say, I knew him back then. Or they may see the new one when he's approximately 40 and say he sounds familiar and he may have those marks of scarring. Or he did work at this store. You know, that's why I put it all out there. You know, there's nothing to lose by putting it out there. You see, MO is always the same. He would come up from behind and he'd put him in a headlock and he'd produce that knife and he would threaten him and he would drag him to another area. And then he would talk to him maybe before, mostly after. He would talk to him afterwards. They're hoping that anything kind of like knocks somebody, you know, knocks at somebody's memory uh, to just maybe call in, oh, that could look like, you know, Bob Smith or whoever. And they just call it in and and maybe Bob Smith will be in the family tree is the other thing, you know, and then they, you know, that's at least an avenue they can look down um, and see what may pop up. But they're still looking, they're still plugging away at this and they don't want to forget about it. We have to take a quick break right now. Gone Cold, we'll be right back. They mentioned a bunch of theories. Uh, he could he could be dead. He could be deported. He could be in, in jail somewhere or, or just disappeared somewhere. Is there one sort of like uh, predominant theory or is there really just not enough evidence to think he's one place or the other? You know, by nature, detectives are never supposed to be ruling out or ruling in theories. Right. So they just kind of follow the track. But they were just, you know, these are, were questions that were asked by reporters. So, you know, their kind of thing, their kind of response to everything is, yeah, that's possible because they just don't know. That's probably the number one theory that people have out there. Everybody has their own theory, but we don't know. We don't know what happened. Though. We don't know where he's at. Maybe he's just stopped committing crimes. Maybe he took steps to prevent us from getting his DNA. I don't know. But one of the theories is, is that he's deceased. And that's why we don't, we're not getting his DNA anymore or, or in a system at all. I mean, you and I have heard plenty of wild and crazy stories just in the job and the profession we do. So really anything is possible. But there's just little things that they mentioned during the press conference. For example, he had like little pockmarks or something or scars in his chest and earring at one time. But like, you know, those could be now less traceable with things like Mederma or whatever, and just time. Right. And then like, you know, his earring, maybe he doesn't have an earring in anymore, but they did mention that he worked like we mentioned in the podcast that he worked at Zally's or not. He worked at, but he had a t-shirt from Zally's food store. So they're just hoping all these little kind of clues, like, you know, did you know somebody that was from Puerto Rico that may have worked at Zally's for a time being that, you know, said he was here all alone. That may look like this guy. Could you give us a call? You know, and so, you know, that's the hope is that something leads to a clue. And the the best case scenario is a, you know, a, a listener or someone who who sees the article or see or you know, listens to the podcast or hears about the press conference, knows something and calls them. Is there is there any other sort of uh, best case scenario out there? It, you know, is there any kind of like 
technological innovation or uh, could could DNA or could genealogy um, really come through in a, in a big way uh, theoretically in the next year, next couple months? Um, the genealogy is going to be, I think, about they said like an, like. I mean, it takes a couple of months. I, I don't want to say they put a time limit on it, but um, what happens is when you have, when we talk about your family now, the Johansson family is much smaller than the Rickert family, right? But the Johansson family could still have about a thousand people in a family tree from like, you know, my great, great grandparents that were from Ireland or from Italy that I, relatives I don't even know about that are out there somewhere, there are fourth, fifth, sixth cousins, right? The records are probably way worse. You guys are probably like 5,000, 6,000 yeah. people. But you have to go through, you know, you may get a match of about, and this is something they talked about, you may get a match of about a third or fourth cousin. That doesn't mean that you're that much closer. It means you have to kind of like knock out where everybody is in that line, that tree. Um, and so it takes a while because you have to pull records. You have to figure out, okay, well, I'm going to go down this grandparent, you know, this line or whatever to see if it mat, you know, it matches this branch of the tree. But you get all the way down to the end, and the whole branch could be completely wiped out. So then you have to start back over. So it's like it's just a meticulous process of going down. So you know, months is the best way they could guess. But the other thing is that maybe they won't ever know. You know, I mean, I know we hear about all the cases where this does work, but there's also a ton of cases where this doesn't work and they get just to a point where there's a dead end and they can't get past the dead end. And there are swabbing, you know, members, quote unquote, of this family tree. So like you said, we reached out to quite a few people. Um, some have been cooperative. Some haven't been. Uh, we've, we've swabbed two people and they're both in the area. Um, so obviously, I can't tell you where. But uh, they're both in the uh, Philadelphia area. We've gotten yeah. some back. We, well, we got one back, yes. One of the swabs came back, and it basically told us we were going in the wrong direction. So we've done a second swab, and we're in the process of submitting that. Um, so it's going to take you know, probably six to eight weeks before we get something back to tell us if we are going in the right direction. Two separate swabs from two different people. And one of the things that they mentioned um, during the press conference is that some of the family members have also said that they don't want to be swabbed. And it was asked about whether or not, you know, police would take that into account of suspicion. And they, you know, they're like, no, I mean, you know, we could, would everybody in this room, you know, meaning the press room, want to be swabbed if you don't even know your DNA could end up in five years and also could put your other family members at risk. Like people just don't know where that's going. So um, DNA is just becoming kind of less private in a way, but also you know, helping with things like this. So it's a, there's a lot of ethical questions with DNA gathering. It's not as simple as swab somebody's DNA and see where it goes, you know? So. Yeah. All right, Kristen. Uh, thank you so much for breaking that down. If we get any more updates, we'll, we'll obviously put out another little episode. Um, but yeah, for now, that's what we know about the Fairmount Park rapist and the the press conference that police called a, a, a week and a half. What timing? A week and a half after we put this episode out. And if you want to see the picture, you can go to our Instagram page, Gone Cold Philly. Uh, I'm Tom Rickert. I'm a Gone Cold with Kristen Johansson, who really does all the heavy lifting. <laughs> and uh, you, you, <laughs> you can follow us on Twitter at Gone Cold Philly. Same thing with Instagram. And join our Facebook group. Uh, just search for Gone Cold Philadelphia Unsolved Murders. KJ, thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, sounds good. Thank you.
Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 